Today we read again from Ephesians, verses 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Well, good morning. Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians that we've been in for months now. And we are in a two-week series in Ephesians 5 on marriage, a radical Christian marriage. You see, I think God's design for marriage is so counter-cultural and counter to our natural tendencies that it is truly radical. And God wants to change our marriages to be more in line with what He's created us for in the kingdom of God. I was handed this story this week. I thought it appropriate. When everybody on earth was dead and waiting to enter paradise, God appeared and said, I want the men to make two lines. One line for the men who were true heads of their household and the other for the men who were dominated by their women. And I want all the women to report to St. Peter. Soon the women were gone and there were two lines of men. The line of the men who were dominated by their wives was a hundred miles long. And in the line of men who truly were heads of their household, there was only one man. God said to the long line, You men should be ashamed of yourselves. I created you to be the head of your household. You've been disobedient and have not fulfilled your purpose. Of all of you, only one obeyed. Learn from him. God turned to the one man. How did you manage to be the only one in this line? The man replied, My wife told me to stand here. <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's a funny story, but it's funny because unfortunately it reflects the way we as men too often feel. We feel as, like we're failures as husbands, by and large. We know our wives have great needs and we realize we're not meeting them and our, we tend to feel the disappointment 
from our wives towards us. And like in that story, we feel God must be disgusted with us as well. And so as men, we're overwhelmed with a deep sense of shame and guilt when we come to passages like this, when we think about what does it mean for me to be a husband, we may feel pretty successful at work or in other areas of our lives. But when it comes to our marriages, too often we tend to feel powerless, weak, like failures. And yet, when we try to step up and say, okay, I'm going to assert myself and use my strength or authority, we tend to do it poorly. Either we're harsh and angry, or it's not really satisfying, it's not giving us what our wives want, giving our wives what they want, and so we end up just withdrawing and giving up too often. As a recent book on manhood described, men are forever trying to prove their manhood, often in unhealthy ways, or looking to be weekend warriors, looking for sports, or some place where we can feel like a man because we often feel so powerless in our marriages. We seldom feel like real men in our cultures or in our homes. Here's my question for us today. Does it have to be that way? That's pretty universal experience for us as men, but does it have to be that way? Is there a way for us as men to exert our strength, our manhood in our marriages in a healthy way that can bring blessing to our wives, to our children, to our homes? Well, obviously, I think there is. (laughs) I think it's very possible. And men, I think this passage can give us a vision, a picture of what God calls us to. So as we work through this passage, as we look in Ephesians 5, I really encourage us all as men to not take this as another reason to feel like failures, but instead to look at it as a picture of what God is moving us towards as men, what He's drawing us towards, what He is moving you towards as a man who can love his wife well in the power of the Spirit so that our marriages can be a place where we bring all our strength, all our manhood to love our wives. So let's pray and then let's look at this passage together. Lord, what a powerful passage this is. And we confess we need you to work in us as men so that we might learn what it means to live out our manhood in our marriages, to not live by fear or shame, but to live in the strength of the Spirit and bringing all that we are to the good of our marriages. Help us to learn from you today. By the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. I want to set the context here of the passage because I think this is really key to remember. The overriding verb, the overriding verse for this whole section, all the way from 521 to 69, 
is this command to be filled with the Spirit. That's over everything. So everything you hear is to be heard in that light for the next few weeks. It's all about what it means to be men and women who are filled with the Spirit and living that out in our relationships with one another and with God. So underneath that, as David Roper pointed out a couple weeks ago, there's several uh, underlying participles. There are subcategories of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for everything, and then finally, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. The point is, we are all to submit to one another. That is what the gospel does. That's what the Spirit will move us towards, not to dominate and control, but rather to submit to one another in all our relationships. And then he moves into specifics, some key relationships, and he says, all right, here's how wives are to submit to husbands. We looked at that last week. Today we're looking at husbands and wives, how husbands are to submit to wives. Next week we'll look at children to parents, parents to children. Then we'll look at employees to employers. He talks about master-slaves, but in our context he's really talking about employees, employers, and employers to employees. What does that all look like as we live out submission in our relationships with one another. So our passage today is how husbands are to show submission in their relationship with their wives as we are filled with the Spirit, as we learn to depend on the life of the Spirit in us. And as we begin, I just want to remind us that Jesus is the truest and most powerful man who ever lived. He is our example And so learning to be filled with the Spirit is learning to depend on the life of Jesus in you to simply walk in His life, His power, to truly be the men that we are created to be in Christ. So it's learning to depend on Him and then live that life out in how we love our wives. So let's look together at this passage. I want to cut back to verse 23 from last week because I think I want to highlight something that it says wives are to be submissive to your own husbands as to the Lord for verse 23 the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body well we men hear this we hear that we're supposed to be heads right we're, we are head of the head of our wives but what does that look like We hear a lot of unhelpful phrases like, you're supposed to be the spiritual leader, so do it. Take charge. You're the head of your wife, so come on, get with it. Who wears the pants in your family anyway? And and we feel that pressure, but it doesn't really tell us what it looks like, and there's a lot of misunderstanding in all of that. Well, I think Paul goes on to describe what biblical headship really looks like. And I mentioned this last week, but let me highlight it for you again. When he mentions that in verse 23, that the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Paul's making a very definite emphasis here about headship. 
24 times in the book of Ephesians, he describes Jesus as Lord. Only once does he describe him as Savior. That's in this verse. In the context of husbands, you are to be head of your wife. You are the head of your wife. God's placed you there. But what he's emphasizing is not the authority of headship, but rather what Jesus did when he died for us. In other words, giving up your life for the sake of your wife. And now he goes on to describe that more fully in verses 25 and following. What does it look like? What does true biblical headship look like? What is God calling us to do as men when we are filled with the Spirit in our relationship with our wives? The first phrase I want to use is sacrificial leadership. Sacrificial leadership. Now, Greek culture would assume that a challenge to husbands would be a challenge to take charge because that's what was common in their culture. If they felt like men weren't being men, they needed to take control. They needed to dominate their wives. They needed to put the wives in their place. The women's Bible studies have been studying Esther. The book of Esther begins with Ahasuerus throwing a huge banquet and he calls his wife, Queen Vashti, to come and she doesn't come. And the whole kingdom's in an uproar and the men are going, wow, we can't have this because all kinds of wives will be in rebellion now. We've got to make them obey. And so she gets dismissed as queen and so he needs to find another queen. See, that was typical in this culture as well. In the Greek culture is that men were supposed to be leaders and dominant in their home and so that's what would be expected. But notice, Paul goes completely against culture, completely against expectations. By saying, men, here's what it means to be a real man. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Are you leaders? Yes. But your leadership is to be exhibited in sacrifice, in being like Jesus. Sacrificial love. This, folks, is radical. See, (laughs) Christian marriage is radical. Completely different than the world around us. So he says, love as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Well, in these verses, there are five verbs that are used to describe what Jesus has done for us in his love for us. The verbs move from loving to giving up himself, sanctifying, cleansing, and then finally presenting us to himself. Well, those are amazing, huge verbs. What does that mean for us? How do, we, how do we as men live like that? We can't bring salvation to other people. We can't do that. But what is Paul really thinking of when he says we are to love like Christ in this description? How does this transfer to us as husbands in how we love our wives? Well, a couple of words that I use when I think about this is that It's not authority, it's not power, it's not control. In fact, it's more responsibility, uh, leadership. I like those words better because I think they reflect more what it's calling us to as men. It's a responsibility, it's an opportunity to help our wives become everything God created them to be. Isn't that what Jesus did with us? He redeemed us, he saved us, he loved us enough to die for us so that, as it says, we could be sanctified. We could become everything he created us to be so that at the end of time, 
will be presented before him as clean and pure and righteous. Everything he's doing in our lives to make us, that's what he is at work in our lives. So sacrificial leadership as a husband, what does that mean? Let me just make some observations here. One of the things I observe is that it has to do with pursuing intimacy. That sacrificial leadership means we as men need to pursue intimacy with our wives a deeper, growing relationship with her. It says that Jesus causes us to grow by the washing of water with the Word. That's communication. That's in relationship. That's intimacy. That's incredibly intimate picture here he's giving us. As he takes the initiative to move towards us. So I think God is calling us as men to take the initiative to move towards our wives to build a relationship, to know them, to pursue their hearts, to keep good communication going in our marriages. Now, I understand, men, this is not natural. And as we talk about that, it's sort of terrifying in some ways for some of us. Women tend to be more relationally focused. They tend to be more concerned about how the relationship is going. But I... I think what he's saying is that God is calling us to not do like we naturally do, which is to let our wives, because they're more relationally focused, let our wives do the initiation to bring up issues, to talk through tension, to uh, initiate when there's conflict and all of that. But what that does, see, to a woman's heart is it leaves her with this pressure that if I am going to have a relationship with my husband... I've got to make it happen. It's up to me as a woman. And men, (laughs) that's not a position God wants women to be left in. He calls us in our sacrificial leadership to pursue intimacy with our wives, to be the initiators in relationship, to make sure your relationship keeps growing that you are committed to spending time together and talking through issues, that you take the pressure off her to make that happen. Now, I know for me personally, like a lot of you guys out there, when you feel tension, your tendency is to just want to withdraw because you're going, I don't know how to enter into this. I don't know how to fix this. Uh, You know, duct tape doesn't work on this one. So I'm not sure what to do here. And yet I find when I take the risk to move towards my wife even when I feel her criticism that God honors that. It doesn't mean everything works out great or whatever, but I sense, Lord, I'm doing what you want me to do because I am taking the initiative. See, I think that's a big part of what God calls us to do as men, to take charge of the battle. We're in a battle for the health of our marriages, men. And God wants you as men to take charge of that battle. To move towards your wife when there's tension. To work things out. To make sure your relationship is continuing to grow. To have enough courage to move towards her. To be willing to take the arrows of criticism. Possible rejection. To keep moving towards her and keep pursuing a growing healthy marriage. Men, that is being a man in your marriage. That's what God calls you to. 
Another thought about this whole idea of sacrificial leadership is there's clearly in what Jesus does a concern for our good above his own. He died for us. And men, that's what we're called to, to put our wives above our own concerns. If our wife feels that, we are, that she is first in our hearts, that we're putting her above not just other people or other women, but we're putting her above even ourselves. If she knows that, she will be set free in our love. A concern for her good above your own. Another thought about this is that notice what Jesus does. He dies to himself for our sake. Dies to himself. Sacrificial leadership is often a choice to die to what I want for the sake of my wife, for the sake of the relationship. And that brings Christ's power to bear in our marriages. I was talking a few years back to a husband who really wanted a boat. He thought it would be great for the family, of course, and all of that. He had convinced himself this was best for the family. And he'd asked his wife about it. Well, honey, is it okay if I get a boat? Well, what's she supposed to answer? You know? I mean, that puts her in an awkward position, right? But as we talked about it, he began to realize, you know, that probably wasn't the healthiest way. I shouldn't just go buy this boat. If we've got a little extra money that God's provided, maybe I need to ask him about it, and maybe I need to sit down with my wife, and together maybe we need to decide what's the best use of that money. As he did that, he found incredible joy in becoming one with her, in sharing it with her. Did he end up getting a boat? No. He had to die to that desire. But God did something even greater in their relationship as he died to himself for her sake. I know that for me, even trying to love my wife, I thought, you know, I work real hard around the house. I helped around the house a lot early in our marriage, helped with the kids. And so, hey, she had to be really satisfied with that, right? You know, because then I'm accomplishing something, so I felt good about that and But after a while, as I began to get to know Jeannie better, I realized, you know, she appreciated that. But that's not really what she wanted from me. That's not really what made her feel loved by me. I began to realize what she wanted was time with me, quality time. And as I began to see that, I realized I had a choice. I can do what I think I want to do, what feels good to me in loving her, or I can die to that in a way. Now, I love spending time with Jeannie, don't get me wrong, but, but it was a change for me. It was dying to my way of doing things to spend time with her. And again, God's blessed when I've chosen to do that. But that's the choice we make, men, over and over, is am I going to die to what I want for the sake of my wife, dying to self? It's hard. The flesh wants to keep score, Right? Well, I gave up this and this for my wife, so now I should be able to buy this for me. 